Um, according to scriptures and um, out of understanding, if you're a student of scripture, you will realize that the reason for um, Christmas is Easter. There would have been nothing to celebrate if Easter did not occur. Now, Easter talks about the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. Now, if all that had not happened, there would be no Christian faith. It would be nothing but religion. It's as a result of all that happened on Calvary's cross over 2,000 years ago. You know, sometimes people say 2,000. Ten years ago, it was 2,000. Today, it's still 2,000. <laughs> it's over 2,000 years ago, right? That Christ did what he did. And it's because of all that he did that you and I, we are able to come boldly into the presence of our Father. As a matter of fact, all through this month, we've been talking about the believer's leverage. That is, understanding the privileges of redemption. What makes the death of Jesus important? What makes it valuable? Why is his death, why is it not like the death of any other person? What makes his death unique? What makes it outstanding? Why do we need to understand um, why he came and what he did? We've been talking about how, that all through this month and we'll be going deeper in this morning service. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 to 14, which has been our text for this discourse, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 to 14. The Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the cause of the law. Be made a cause for us, for it is written, cause is everyone that hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we see here the Bible is saying that Christ has redeemed us. He is not going to redeem us. Somebody say with me, say Christ has redeemed me. He is not going to redeem me. Because oftentimes what religion does is that religion postdates every reality of redemption. And I'm going to come to that, you see. Religion will tell you that when you get to heaven, this will happen. <laughs> but you know, the Bible says the righteous will be recompensed on the earth. There is a reward that comes in eternity, but there is a reward that is meant for time. Am I making sense this morning? So when the Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, it simply means he has already done it because that is past tense. He's not going to do it. He's not planning to do it. However, it is possible for you to live as if Christ has not redeemed us. And there is no cause, the Bible makes us to understand, that can be greater than the cause of the law. There is none. There is none. So if Christ has redeemed you from the cause of the law, no other cause will have an effect in your life. Now, someone might say, Pastor, but I've seen believers who obviously are operating under the cause. Of course. Because it is one thing, for something to be made available to you is another thing for it to be accessible to you. That's why the Bible says that the promise, you see, it says that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It is by faith we activate everything Christ has made available to us. That's why in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12 to 14, 
The Bible says, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us to be meet, meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has redeemed us, delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So here we are made to understand that without the shedding of the blood, there would have been no redemption. There would have been no redemption. And the Bible also says here that we are partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So it simply means if you are not in light, even though um, the inheritance has been made available, you may not partake of it. And the word light there simply talks about revelation. It talks about illumination. That is having a knowledge of what has been made available to you. I'm always reminded of the story or I read in a book a couple of years ago about a man that saved so much to go on a cruise. And um, the cruise was supposed to be for 30 days. So, um, because he didn't have much money, but it had been his dream to, you know, go on a cruise. So, he bought lots of biscuits <laughs> that he would eat on the voyage. So, on the 28th day, someone was going to dinner. Someone he had been talking to. And the person noticed that he wasn't going for dinner. So, the person went to his cabin and said, you've not been at dinner for the last couple of weeks. What's happening? He said, my brother, like the average Nigerian. <laughs> said, see, I like to respect myself. I saved so much, you know, I couldn't afford this cruise, but I saved to be able to come for this, you know, have this experience. He said, so I know that I can't afford to eat at the dinner, so I decided to buy biscuits for this voyage, and that's what I've been eating. And the man looked at him and said, what are you talking about? When you got the ticket for this cruise, all your meals have been taken care of. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 30 days. Now, coming to the realization of that on the 28th day, how much food can he eat in the remaining two days? Even if he decides that all the food for the past 28 days, bring it, I want to consume it now. He will have constipation. He wouldn't enjoy it. Now, many believers are like that. There are things that Christ has paid for, but we are still living as if we must pay for it. Let me tell you, there's no same person pays for something twice. Have you ever bought something before? You took it home. The next day, you now went back to the store. He said, that thing I bought yesterday, I want to pay for it again. Have you ever done that before? Christ has already redeemed us. Now, that word redemption, because most times when we read the Bible, you see, we think every word is a religious word. That word redemption is both a legal and a financial term. It simply means to pay what is required for that which Christ wanted to receive. So, the price that needed to be paid right, was the price of life. And Leviticus 17 and verse 11, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So, the only payment that was required for the redemption of man was the payment with the blood, right, of a sinless personality. And that's the blood of Jesus. Is someone hearing what I'm saying this morning? And the cost of the law is threefold. It talks about poverty. It talks about sickness and spiritual death. So when God told Adam and his wife that the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that day you will die. <laughs> the day they ate of the fruit, they didn't stop existing, but they already died. 
Because the death God was talking about was not physical death. It was spiritual death. He was talking about a separation between divinity and humanity. And that's one of the things that Jesus came to restore. That we may have a relationship with our creator. You know, in the Old Testament, people only had the opportunity to appear before God a couple of times a year. And you see, even when they appear before God, they can't enter into the temple, into the tabernacle. It was the high priest that had the right to enter the Holy of Holies. And even the high priest, he must have been preparing for long. Because if he misses a part of the preparation, whether by error or by decision, he's going to die. But you and I, that's one of the things Jesus made available to us. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne that we may obtain grace and mercy even in the time of need. So one of the things that man lost, right, was that relationship with Christ, um, with God, relationship with his creator. And when Jesus came, it brought about that connection, that reintroduction, if you would say, right, between man and his maker. And you and I need to understand that redemption is not just a ticket, a visa to heaven. That is, oh, I need to be born again so that when I die, I can make it to heaven. If that's the only reason why Jesus came, like I've said a couple of times, the day you give your life to Christ, you should have died immediately. So that is, there will be no opportunity for losing that salvation again so you can make it in. So there is a reason why he still kept you here. There is a reason why you're still here. You see, man was not originally made to live in heaven. Somebody surprised? Because if man was originally made to live in heaven, when God made man, he would have placed him in heaven. In Genesis chapter 1, when God created the earth, he says, let us make man. He said, after our own image and after our own likeness. He says, and let them have dominion, not in heaven, but on the earth. God being a responsible father, you see, two people cannot rule in the same domain. You can't have the same, you can't have two kings in a domain. So when God made the earth, he gave the earth to man. Psalms 115, I think verse 16. The Bible says the heaven, even the heavens is the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. So the earth is the domain of man. That's what the Bible will say that at the cool of the day in Genesis, that God will come and he would have conversations with man. Man lost that. He could no longer have that privilege when he fell, when he sinned. There was a disconnection. And so when we give our lives to Christ in redemption, there are certain privileges that God has given you and I. Certain privileges. Certain privileges. When you give your life to Christ, you are initiated into the family of God. Many people know God, you know, as God, the creator of the universe. But you see, for the believer, God is not just your creator, he's your father. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying this morning? It's not just your creator, is also your father. Is your father. And every, <clears throat> every responsible father makes provisions for their children. And so God has made certain provisions for you and I. And that provision, we must be aware of it. We must be conscious of it. If you are not conscious of it, you will not be better than someone that does not even have a relationship with God. And we said the first leverage a believer has is divine guidance. Divine guidance. Divine guidance. The ability to know tomorrow, today. You know, I've had people say it and sometimes a lot of believers even say it. He said, no one knows tomorrow. Where did you see that in the Bible? Jesus said, when the spirit of truth is come, he says, he will guide you into all truth and show you the things to come. 
Even Solomon that was not saved said it in the book of Proverbs. He said, a prudent man foresees the evil. That is, he can see what is going to happen before it happens. He says, and he hides himself so that he will not be afflicted by the evil that is coming. So you and I need to understand that as believers, one of the advantage, the leverage that the Christian faith provides is the ability to hear the voice of your creator. God wants to lead you in every area of your life, in your business, in your career, in the selection of a life partner, in terms of relocation. Should you relocate? Where to live? Who to marry? What job to do? What business to get yourself involved in? People make decisions, right, without recourse to divine guidance because they are not even aware God wants to lead them. The second leverage we have, right, is an heavenly language. An heavenly language. The ability to communicate with God by passing the realm of the intellect and the demonic realm. The Bible refers to it as tongues. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, He that speaks in an unknown tongue, the Bible says, is not speaking to men, but is speaking directly to God. He may not understand what he's saying, but God understands perfectly. So anytime you say, If they are speaking in English, speaking in Igbo, speaking in Yoruba, speaking in Awusa, the devil can understand. Because it's the language of men. But if you want to communicate with God directly such that even the devil cannot, you know, uh, 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 peep as it were or is drop on that conversation, pray in tongues. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, he said, this sign shall follow those that believe. He said, in my name they will cast out demons. He says, and they will speak with new tongues. Number three leverage is the favor factor. The favor factor. You see, the Bible says in Psalms 5 and verse 12, it says, the Lord will bless the righteous and with favor, he will surround him as with a shield. A believer is never meant to live without favor. One day of favor is better than a thousand years of labor. One day of favor can bring to you what you have been hustling for for 10 years and you have not obtained. Favor is what makes a man to be preferred above his contemporaries. And please understand, favor is never fear. <laughs> when I say fear, not F-E-A-R, but F-A-I-R. Favor is never fear. You see, favor is also a preferential unfair treatment. The way everybody will understand is this. Favor is to be served first when there is an assurance that what is being served will not go around. That's favor. When God was going to deliver the children of Israel, bring them out of years of slavery, he said, I will give these people favor before the Egyptians and everything they ask will be given to them. I will give them favor. I will give them favor. You see, and that favor, they experience it after they had done something called the Passover feast. God told Moses to tell the children of Israel, he said, tonight, <clears throat> I'm going to visit the land of Egypt and I'm going to bring my people out with a strong hand. And he said, tell the children of Israel to make an unleavened bread. He said, everyone, right, is to, you know, eat unleavened bread and also, secondly, kill a lamb and place the blood of that lamb on the lintel, the doorpost to your house. It said when the angel of destruction is passing by, right, it will cross over any place it sees the blood. Now you and I need to understand that that Passover is a shadow of the communion. That Passover, because it's talking about the blood and the bread. And that was what Jesus, right, gave the disciples before. That was the last thing he did with them before he was taken up into heaven. 
or sorry, before he died, before he was crucified. He told his disciples, he said, this is my body. He said, partake of it. He said, I'm not going to eat this again with you, he said, until I get to the kingdom of my father. So you and I need to understand that the only thing that happened after they partook of the Passover, right, was not just deliverance from bondage. There was an impartation of favor. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And so I want to talk about the fourth leverage. At the midweek recharge, I'm going to go deeper on the favor factor. But this morning, being Easter Sunday, I want to focus on what I call the heavenly meal. <laughs> Somebody said the heavenly meal. I can't hear you say it loud. I said the heavenly meal. In Luke chapter 22, verse 7 to 20. Luke 22, if we can have it on the screen from verse 7. Luke 22 from verse 7. The Bible says, then came the day of unleavened bread. When the Passover must be killed. And they sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where will you that will prepare? And he said unto them, behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall be a man, a man shall meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him to the house where he enters. And he shall say unto the good man of the house, the master said, where is the guest chamber? Where I shall eat the Passover with my disciple. And he will show you a large upper room furnished there. Make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down. And the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof. Until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks. And said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. Until the kingdom of God shall come. The Bible says, and he took bread and gave thanks and he broke it. And gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shared for you. So we see here Jesus gave them the blood and his body as it were. And he said that you should do this right in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we celebrate minister Toyosi? So he said, do this in remembrance of me. He gave them his, you know, he said, this is my body and this is my blood. He said, when you do this, something is going to happen. Which I'm going to be talking about in the next few moments. Please understand this, that when we're talking about the heavenly meal, we are referring to the communion. And it is not just a religious practice. It is an instruction that Jesus gave that we should participate in consistently. When many people think about redemption, the average person walking on the street actually thinks that redemption is a reduction of human status. That's why sometimes some people are ashamed to say I'm a believer. 
So I say, are you a Christian? I say, no, 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 no. Ah, they call you pastor. I say, no, no, no. Church boys say, no, that's not me. <laughs> Please understand this. Redemption, one of the things it does is that it imparts into your spirit the life of Christ. Because according to Leviticus 17, if you can have it on the screen, Leviticus 17 and verse 11. Leviticus 17 and verse 11. The Bible says, for the life of the flesh is in what? Is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. That is the life of everything is in its blood. So, when Jesus gave the disciples the blood, right, to drink, right, the partake of the communion, what he was trying to say is, I am giving you my life. I'm giving you my life. And you see, what you eat, I believe you know, determines the quality of life you live. What you eat determines the quality of life that you live. Now, sometimes when, um, the reason why a lot of people are afraid of witches, wizards, occultic people, they say, ah, they drink blood. But you see, if it is blood that makes a person powerful, then a believer that has understanding should be the most powerful. Because if the life of the flesh is in the blood, and the blood of humans, right, are taken by occultic people, right, and it makes them powerful, how much more when you drink the blood of Jesus? So you're actually drinking the blood of God. <laughs> so who can be more powerful than God? Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? Now, when people hear things like this, oh, pastor is trying to psych us. I'm not psyching you. I'm telling you the scriptures. You see, God told the children of Israel, when you place the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, evil will pass over. How much more when you place the blood of Jesus? And see, someone will say, ah, where do I get the blood of Jesus? When they were having that conversation, when they were having the Passover, Jesus is not going to look for one special wine and bread. The Bible says they were having a feast. It was a feast of Passover that they would normally observe in Israel. The Bible says he took from what they were eating. He blessed it and broke it. It was the blessing that converted what they were eating to the bread and to the body and the blood of Jesus. Because sometimes people often wait till they come to church before they partake of the communion. You can take biscuits in your house and water, bless it, and have that consciousness that I'm partaking of the blood and the body of Jesus. And let me tell you this, the same life that was made available at the Passover in the upper room can be made available to you. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying this morning? You see, if you are born again, please understand this. You already have the God kind of life. However, that life may not manifest. <laughs> you may have the most expensive car in your garage. That does not mean you can drive it. It needs to be fueled. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in the same way, we need to understand that everything Christ has made available must be activated by practicing the word of God. Redemption makes you extraordinary. In Psalms 82 and verse 5 to 7, the Bible says they do not know. Let's have it on the screen. Psalms 82 verse 5 to 7. I need us to see this. Psalms 82 and verse 5 to 7. Can we read out loud together once to go? They do not know. Neither will what? Will they understand? They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, you are what? You are what? And all of you are what? 
children of the most high. But you shall do what? Die like men and do what? Now, I want us to understand that there's a difference between like and as. If he says you will die like men, it simply means you are not a mere man. He says all of you are gods and all of you are children of the most high. A dog cannot give back to a lion. A lion cannot give back to a sheep. The child of a lion is what? Even though it might not be seen as a lion in its infancy, but the capacity of lionhood <laughs> is already in it. So the moment you give your life to Christ, all that makes God, God, you see, that's why it says you are God and all of you are children of the most High. He says, but they do not know. The question is, do you know? I want you to look at the person sitting next to you. Ask their name. Ask, ask for their name. In case you don't know who you are sitting next to. Ask for their name. If they've told you their name, just ask them, do you know who you are? If they are not answering you very well, look at the next person. Say, do you know who you are? He says they do not know. Neither will they understand. I'm going to come to this in the next few minutes. That one of the things Jesus did with the communion was to open the understanding of men. So let me tell you this. If you're here this morning and people have considered you a dummy, a dullard, someone that is not smart, the communion table can correct it. Trust me. I've told us before, growing up, I used to be considered a dummy. I was very timid. I couldn't look into people's eyes. I was that shy. That's why when I see people shy, I go after them. It's an evil spirit. I will drive it out. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because that's, that condition can limit you. If I know that it can limit you, it will limit you. So here the Bible says they do not know, neither will they understand because they walk in darkness. Darkness simply means ignorance. It means lack of light. It means lack of illumination. It says you are God and all of you are children of the most high. It says, but you shall die like men. It simply means as a believer, you can't die anyhow. I know people will say, ah, what about so, 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 and so? See, let me tell you this. You don't live your life by other people's experience, but by the word of God. I think I told us a couple of weeks ago, how someone said, ah, anything can happen to anyone. I remember one person, one pastor that died in a plane crash. You see, the experiences of man does not invalidate the word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible says in the wilderness they ate manna. And as a result of that manna, the Bible says there was no one that was weak among them. Please understand this. Manna is lesser than the communion table. So if when they ate manna in the wilderness, none was feeble, the communion table can do better. Someone hearing what I'm saying? It can do better. It can do better. The communion is not a snack. Therefore, it must be taken out of understanding. The Bible says that some took it unworthily. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 27 to 30. It said, and some of them as a result of that, they sleep. Not that they dozed off, but they died. What is the value of the communion? What is the value? Man by the name of Smith would what took the communion daily until he died at the age of 89. And he was still riding on horsebacks. <laughs> Not driving in a car. Riding us on horsebacks. 
The first is supernatural healing. Somebody say supernatural healing. Especially in a nation like ours where the medical sector is going down the drain. You better trust God for supernatural health. In Psalms 105 and verse 37, the Bible says there was not one that was feeble among them. Not one. Not one. How did that happen? All the years they were moving in the wilderness. The Bible says not one person was weak. It didn't say not one person was sick. It says they were not feeble. Feeble simply means weak. How did that happen? Because before they left Egypt, they all partook of the Passover. A shadow of the communion table. And so if the communion, one of the things it does is to give supernatural immunization. When you give that to a child, one of the things you do is you immunize the child against certain diseases. So when you take the communion, one of the things it does is that it immunizes you against sickness and diseases. Number two thing the communion does is it provokes the release of favor. It provokes the release of favor. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 36, the Bible says the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus, the Bible says they plundered the Egyptians. This was after they had partaken, right, of the Passover, which, like I said moments earlier, is a shadow of the communion table. Number three is the opening up of understanding. We're going to be partaking of the communion this morning and that's why I'm giving us this understanding. The fourth thing that the communion table does, which I referred to as the heavenly meal earlier, is that it opens your understanding. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This was after Jesus had died. The Bible says that two of his disciples, go to verse 30. Two of his disciples, the Bible says they were on their way to Emmaus. And the Bible says Jesus joined them on the way and began to have conversations with them. And he noticed that they were not that excited. So he asked them, what's wrong? And he said, are you a stranger in the city? Are you not aware of what happened a couple of days ago? That a man from Nazareth, a savior was crucified. <laughs> they didn't know they were talking to Jesus. Now, they were not blind. Understand that you have two sets of eyes. Every human being does. You have the optical eyes and you have the spiritual eyes. So their physical eyes, the optical one was working perfectly. But the spiritual one was off. <laughs> so the Bible says that Jesus went, you know, with them to where they were going to stay. Verse 30 says, and it came to pass that as he sat with, at meat with them, you can see that they were going to have dinner. So it wasn't like the disciples, you know, prepared a special meal and they said, now we want to have communion. They were eating. And the Bible says that Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31. And their eyes were what? Were they blind? Yes and no. They were not physically blind, but they were spiritually blind. I pray for somebody this morning. May your understanding be opened. In the name of Jesus. May the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. You know, that was one of the prayers Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 to 19. And as a believer, I'd encourage you to pray that scripture over your life as often as you can. 
It says that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you may know. You see, there are things you will never know if the eyes of your understanding is not enlightened. <laughs> you may be so close to your miracle, yet be blinded to it. These were guys that have spent so many years, like three, at least minimum years with Jesus. Yet they saw Jesus and they could not recognize him. Until Jesus broke the bread, gave it to them, right? Representation of the communion. The Bible says, and their eyes were opened. Look at the next thing it says. Go back to that, Luke 24, verse 31. Luke chapter 24 and verse 31. The Bible says their eyes were opened. And what happened? And they what? They what? Didn't they know him before? <laughs> and they knew him. May you know what you need to know. Somebody didn't understand that prayer. May you know what you need to know. Yeah. Let me tell you this. You are where you are in life because of what you know. Job said, what you know, I know. I am not inferior to you. Ignorance is the foundation of inferiority. And the Bible says that when their eyes were opened, they knew Jesus. May you know what you are supposed to know in this season. I decree and I declare every form of blindness is caused. Begin to see what you need to see. In the name of Jesus. So you can be so close to what you need to know. You can be so close to opportunity and yet never see it. One of our mentors, you know, she was at, you know, the old church, our last service there. Those of us that were in that service, Mr. Ayomi, you know, being all over the world from selling moi moi. How can so, you see, how many of us have eaten moi moi this month? How come you have not made millions from it? How can someone see moi moi and think of a millions of naira, just moi moi, that everybody's cooking in the house every day? I'm sure your mom can make a better moi moi. All of us grew up getting money. Do you know my mind? Oh, or should we give it a contemporary name? Cooked. What do we call it now? <laughs> There's this other woman I have. I've not met, I've not met her. Um, some, some of my us might know Bubes Pops. So is it Bubes or what something like that? How can someone say Akamu and think of an empire? Because everybody is seeing it, but they saw something different. Let me tell you this, your breakthrough is not far. You just need the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. That's why one of the things you need to understand is hustling is anti-covenant. As long as you are still hustling, you will not see what you need to see. Because hustling is laboring without an involvement of divine partnership. You believe I can do it by myself? But when the eyes of your understanding is enlightened, you are precise, your steps are ordered. You know what you are supposed to be doing. The fourth thing the communion offers, the blessing, the fourth blessing of the communion table is direction. Somebody say direction. I can't hear you. Somebody say direction. In John chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says in that sixth chapter that the people needed to eat and there was no way they were going to get food. And so the Bible says that Jesus gave them an instruction, told them to do something. The Bible says they said this to test them but for he himself knew what he would do. So when you partake of that life, it simply means you get to that point where you just know what to do. There are certain things that sometimes I just know how to do those things and I never let those things professionally. You see, let me tell you this. The Bible says you can know all things. That spirit is on the inside of you. And one of the ways you activate it is through the communion table. Jesus knew what to do at every point in time. He was never stranded. Even when they had no coins, he told Peter, go ahead. 
catch the first fish. The first one opened his mouth, so we find money there. Peter had been struggling all night, all night. When Jesus came, he said, cast your net to the other side. He just always knew what to do. He always knew what to do. And when you partake of the communion table, that same life, that capacity to never be stranded is imparted to you. You see, the communion table, you see, is more like, let me say, a spiritual life transfusion. You know, when someone is sick to a point, they say they need to they do blood transfusion. Blood transfusion is actually life transfusion because if blood is drained from your body, you are gone. So every time we partake of the communion table, what actually happens is that there is supernatural life transfusion. Number five is divine protection. Divine protection. When they engage them, the Passover in the book of Exodus, the Bible says that when the angel of destruction saw them, it passed over. It simply moved over them. When you and I partake of the communion table, one of the things that happens is that we are insulated from the evil of our, of our days. That's what the Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse 17, Apostle Paul speaking. If you can have it on the screen, Galatians 6 and verse 17. Can we read out loud together? One to go. For henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I do what? I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. So there is something, you see, it's not everybody that evil can get to. I hope you know that. And you don't have to be some extra special archbishop, cardinal, venerable for evil to avoid you. Just have an understanding of what has been made available to you. Praise the Lord. Number six is supernatural deliverance. Supernatural deliverance. Supernatural deliverance. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 11. The Bible says, as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free, even from the waterless pits. Because of the blood of the covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pits. I don't know what someone needs to be delivered from this morning, but I decree and declare that this morning there will be supernatural deliverance. In the name of Jesus. Before we partake of the communion table this morning, all eyes close, all is bowed. You're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. 